Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Howdy, folks. Happy Friday. Thank God it's Friday. Here for the, here for the next hour before the weekend. Uh, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, a notable game in... Long Island, on Long Island yesterday, uh, a coach gets fired, but we're going to start with uh, some obviously some baseball when it comes to pre-show. Go ahead, Russ. Yeah, we'll talk Bryce Harper. I mean, it was a big deal yesterday. I, I got a text, and it was from my best friend in New York, and, and he told me, and so I called him for a sec, and then I let it sit in, then I called him back because like, I was shocked that there was no opt-out, but Harper said he didn't want the opt-out. I'm still shocked that the Phillies didn't want the opt-out, but okay. Not after three years, though, I would have you know, made it like five or six because I think it's impossible to market a guy for just two years when you're worried about him opting out in three. But beyond that, you know, everybody had this, this Bobby Bonilla joke yesterday, and that's fine. But, but when they deferred that money for Bobby Bonilla, it allowed them to sign Hampton, and, and they ended up getting David Wright out of it for the draft pick. And so people want to forget that. That's fine. The Met fan of me says that's okay. The part of this contract that I hate is the 22 million he's going to make for the last three years at like 37, 38, 39. Now the Phillies fans are like, well, you know, we'll win a couple titles by then. It's okay. The DH will be there. Like these are all sounds great. And then someone like on my Facebook page said, yeah, you know, the angels thought the same thing when they gave Pujols that contract, yep. they didn't win anything with Pujols and it didn't look good at the end. So it's a big risk, but they sold a hundred thousand tickets yesterday. That's the answer right there. So, but good. So a couple of things. So first of all, in the Benia deferment, I'm I'm Russ, and you know I'm a huge Met fan. I am so tired of hearing this because yeah. there is a myriad of players who are getting way more money than them that gets ignored. And take a look at the Washington Nationals in terms of how much they deferred of Max Scherzer and everybody else. And yeah. part of the reason why Harper didn't accept the deal deal of the three hundred million, there was rumors that a hundred million or more of it was deferred money, which is why he didn't accept the deal. And Interesting. Tom Verducci just wrote a whole column, and I was just reading it before we went on in terms of the backstory behind mm-hmm. it and the back and forth. And and Harper didn't want the opt-outs. Harper was comfortable. If, if he wanted a short-term deal, and honestly, if he really wanted to place a bet on himself, he could have taken a four, a four or five-year deal that's been rumored with the Dodgers that was anywhere from 40 to $45 million a year has been the rumor, and he could have come back afterwards for, for five more years. But getting the $13 million at the 330 those last three years enabled them to lower the AAV to yeah. a much more reasonable range. I mean, they probably could have gone for 10 years, 330, or 10 years, three. He wanted those extra years. So he, it cuts down the AV, but I agree with you. The back end of that contract could be very ugly, which is why pay attention to when the NL gets the DH and if the universal DH goes into play, because that's where you're going to see a lot of these guys on the longer-term deal. I mean, even in New York with Robinson Cano, right. if that deal happens the next year or two, you're going to see all these guys who are aging guys move you to the DH. You understand why I hate the DH, though. Well, it's exactly why I hate the DH because it the invention of the position is because a player can't play in the field anymore or never could. 
well, and to me, that's not a fully a fully functional baseball player. So you're going to argue with me that Edgar Martinez didn't deserve to get into the Hall of yes, Fame? I will argue with you. Jim. I'm disagreeing yeah. with you about a thousand percent. Yeah, Same with Paul refresh, refresh, refresh my memory here. Is is deferred payments like Benia's after a player's retired? Does that go against the luxury tax, or is that off the books? No, no, no. It not doesn't. I'm aware of. It's off the books. It's I, mean, books. I think okay, it's off so the books. Then, but again, I don't. Know. It's the I don't know. Again, it's the it's the sal. Well, again. The salary out you make has an impact on the books, right? I'm yeah. assuming in this case they're not the they're, they're, since there is no deferment with with Harper's contract, that's a moot point at this point in time. But if there is a deferment, I'd have to go back and check the CBA. I don't think, it tax. I, don't I, I think it should though. You think about it, right? Because it's actual salary that you're paying a guy, even well, though it's a deferment. Remember, A. Rod got released by the Yankees. He had like twenty-seven million owed to him, and that counted against their cap. It counted, or not against the cap, because there's no cap. It counted, no, against, it counted against what their budget was. Right. right. Exactly. Like, look, the same thing with David Wright. Right. He's he's yeah. got a settlement he's getting from the Mets, but the likelihood is a lot of that will be recouped based upon the way the insurance and how they've structured the deal in terms of the term, the wording of whether or not he retired or not, which is why they were so reluctant last year. At the at the year end ceremonies, to use the word retirement because of the insurance impact. Well, the whole thing in terms of like the opt outs or lack thereof when it came to, comes to Harper. I mean, really, it's a moot point because he's got a no trade clause. So if he wants out, he can say, "Trade me here." And then unless that team doesn't want him, you know, like he. Sure. The thing is, is like it's not going to shorten the contract. It's a thirteen year contract. If he's healthy, if he plays, he's going to get paid. But, other- but, but go ahead. I was going to say the other thing to point out, like when you bring up the insurance, it's 75%. So even if the last three years he were disabled to the point where they did what they did, Mets did what they did with David Wright, and he was insurance, it would still be $17 million. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money. Yeah, and I, I, I a looked at Bobby Bonilla, I might add. Yeah, yeah a lot more. And I, look, I looked up, Russ, it's like of the eight or nine contracts that I saw in terms of length and in terms of amount, yeah, almost all of them were baseball. Yeah, pool holes. It's, it's very hard to find other ones in other sports. It's well, true. I think I think James Harden in the NBA is the long term deal. That's big money. Um, there's one in boxing. I think mean, Canelo Alvarez is like thirty five yeah. million a year. But all of them, it's it's Stan. DiPietro had that deal. Yeah, but but DiPietro's was only a four million dollar cap hit. It was just the link that was. 50. You know, but again, here's the funny thing. Even that day, everybody's like. Well, it's only a $4 million cap hit. And I said, what if he becomes your backup goalie at $4 million a year? And that happened sooner than most of them thought. And when he was a backup goalie for $4 million a year, all of a sudden it was a bad situation. That the, the, that uh, compliance buyout from the from the uh, the lockout, um, that was a godsend for the Islanders in terms of – Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, okay, let's get the show started. Uh, hello, Hockey World. Today is Friday, March 1st. 2019. I'm Jan Levine. <laughs> with no with no emotion. Russ Cohen from Sportsology. I'm Michael Agello, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. I'm sorry, just do my ro- robot voice. Uh, okay, guys, we'll start with uh, the, the news from last night. I mean, I was focused on this game, and any Islander fan after July 1st looked at the schedule and circled this one probably in blood. Uh, you know, February 28th and Nassau Coliseum, John Tavares returns. Uh, we saw the vitriol play out in the, in the parking lot with fans running over Tavares jerseys with their truck in the pregame where they're throwing, 
uh, throwing jerseys and plastic snakes onto the ice uh, during the game when they're chanting asshole at, at a guy who played for that team for nine years. Captain. And, and was their captain and then chanting Barzi's better and, you know, something. I mean, okay, I understand the, the, you know, the, the pain inflicted on the fan base, but your pain was mis, uh, was misaimed mm-hmm. at John Tavares. There were this, even hand towels that said traitor, and I'm not sure who made those, yeah. but they were out there. Again, I start, lose with, 12. I start with News 12 because – Growing up on island, and Jan knows this, they used to be a very good, respectable by the book. When a guy like Bob Wolf was there, there was a lot of gravitas there, and we'd all watch it, and Bob was great. Now they've gone tabloid. They went and made this, you know, ridiculous video. Like I said, it looked like a bad wrestling video. And then they got fans even more riled up than they were. They found the really nasty ones. And then last night, fans were in the minority as far as the ones that were clapping during the video where you could see John Tavares was – really touched and then actually had the class to clap back at the fans and half of them or more were just nasty saying stuff, booing them. I get it during the game, right? You want to touch every time he touches a puck, you want to boo. That's all well and good. The fact that you showed him nothing for all the years he was there, he was your best player. Despite ownership, he tried to give you the most success he could. He, I mean, I can't think of a guy who carried a franchise on his back any better in the NHL, other than maybe maybe Sidney Crosby because he had a lot more players to do it and was more successful. But this was just, it was disgusting and I was embarrassed to be a Long Islander. So so a couple of things. So I have have a bunch of friends of mine who went to the game, obviously given where I live. And it started back on July 1 when he signed with the Pajama Boy chants and everything else associated with that. Which by by the way, he wasn't wearing Leaf pajamas. He was wearing Leaf blankets. So idiots, look at the video, look at the picture on, 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 on Twitter. And adjust your 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 stupid criticism, but go so, ahead. So blanket boy would be better. Blanket boy would well, okay. be more so accurate. Blanket boy It'd to make my happy over here. Now again, look, I understand the vitriol. Part of it is because of the manner in which he left. And and again, as you said, Mike, the term misguided is probably very good, right? So so we talked about it on the day it happened with the trade when the, when the signing happened. It's, it's first him saying that he probably he wanted to stay. And, and that's what drove a lot of the a lot of the Isles fans ire was the fact that they felt that he wanted to stay, which at the time he quite very well likely wanted to stay. Correct. So at that time, Lamarillo and Trotz were not running the team. Garth Snow was running the team. Mm-hmm. He could have gone to him and explicitly tried to find out definitively, hey, I'm going to present you with an eight-year contract worth this amount of dollars. Are you definitely going to sign on the bottom line? If not, we're going to protect ourselves from an organization and maybe trade you elsewhere to recoup some assets they decided not to do that, or B, they got some assurances from him that they think he was going to sign. Lamarello and Trotz comes in. We have the negotiating period. Lamarello has no ties to Tavares at all. Neither does Trotz, because neither one of them have been in the organization for an inordinate amount of time. And Lamarello is not the kind of guy that hitches his wagon to one guy, even though he signed you know, Ilya Kovalchuk to a long-term deal. He's not the kind of guy that's going to hitch his wagon to one guy for an extended period of time. He's going to have to be the guy. And there's a, now, and there's, a there's a debate whether it, that was Lou or that was the ownership right, of the Devils. Right, correct. Tavares clearly agonized over this decision. This wasn't a decision he made lightly. You can use the argument that his wife is from the area, was a nurse, wanted to go back there. You can use all the arguments. He clearly agonized over this decision of making it. Yeah. And look, I, I make it akin to, and Russ, you can appreciate this, if Brian Leach had ever had the opportunity to go to free agency and he hadn't signed, 
how would Ranger fans have treated him when he come, when he came back to the Garden if he had signed elsewhere? Right. right. I'm hoping Brewers. that we wouldn't have thrown stuff at him. I'm yeah. hoping they wouldn't have thrown plastic gate, just plastic snakes. I'm hoping we would have thrown a jersey, which fortunately did not make contact, and the guy probably should be tossed out of the arena. Um, who threw that? Because God forbid something was in the jersey and hit yeah, him you don't and know. hurt him. Um, and look, I understand the vitriol, but I also understand honoring the guy when he comes back, mm-hmm. and and basically for giving him all that he give giving him props and honor for everything he did for the organization. Because as you said, ownership and management did a horrific job of of surrounding him with talent. He carried that team in the series over Florida. He's the reason why they advanced to the next round in that series. He scored a huge overtime goal. Yep. People are like forgetting about that. Yep. So he's he's the main reason he w- he was the face of your franchise. He he played that role with a plum and honor and never represented you poorly in public. How many and he did everything did he go to? A ton. And he did every a ton. He did everything you wanted a captain and the face of your franchise to do. Now, if you want to be upset because he left, I get it. I probably would be the same if a guy who I love ended up going elsewhere. And Lord knows I have the number of jerseys of guys that I bought lately from the Rangers who are no longer with this team. But I'm still a fan. And those, But in this situation, as opposed to guys who get traded, he made a decision to go. So if you want to boo him, that's fine. But at least have the courtesy during the program that the team does for him to show him a little bit of honor and then resume the booming booing afterwards. But to do it while it was classless, you yeah. they showed certain guys who were clapping. But as you'd say, 90 to 95% of the fan base was probably booing him like crazy during the tribute, which to me was the most inappropriate thing of all. And and Tavares raises his stick and and and, yeah, and he the crowd while the while while uh, sports or sorry TSN pans the crowd and more than a few guys at Nassau Coliseum are flipping him the bird. Yeah. I mean it just I mean I'm I'm sorry, but you know and I'll just make this example when PK Subban went back to the Bell Center. They, you know, that was an acrimonious trade. I, most of the criticism went toward Bergevin and the ownership. He got a standing ovation when they showed the video when he returned. James Van Riemsdyk and and Tyler Bozak, who didn't, it wasn't acrimonious that they they left Toronto. It was just a reality that they were going to sign someplace else because the Leafs were going to spend their money elsewhere. That and they, they got more money. They did. They got more. They got more money. They they went where you know it was a benefit to them. When they came back to Toronto, they were given standing ovations and acknowledgement from the crowd for all their years of service. It is embarrassing, completely and utterly that the, that the fans uh, that the Islanders fans did this. But you know, I, I they have that right. They paid their tickets. I think the people who threw jerseys should be should have been thrown out of the building. But I don't know if that's the case. I mean, good luck retiring his number now. They probably want nothing to do with oh, it. Oh no, it's not going to happen. No way. I don't think yeah. they were going to do it anyway. I mean, even though he was there for nine years, I don't think they were going to retire. I, think, I mean, he had five hundred goals. I'm, like, not, I'm not arguing with you. I think no, they, no, he didn't. He didn't have five hundred goals. No, he didn't have five hundred goals. Well, he had nine five years. Close to it. Yeah, he was fi- fi- I think fifth career in in scoring. Behind uh, Podfin, Trottier, Bossy, and LaFontaine. Now, let me switch from the, the, the reaction to the actual game because this is where um, I, I think Toronto fans should be worried because this was a game, and this is the second time they've played the Islanders. I believe the first time they played, uh, they played Garrett Sparks as well, but I'm not 100 percent sure. They so they played. It was a second of back-to-back games. They played Edmonton the night before. They played Freddie Anderson in goal. 
they played their backup Garrett Sparks in goal in that heated situation, and he gave up six goals. Uh, not all his not all his fault, but a few of them a few of them were a few of them were bad. A few of them were bad. Um, they had an injury to uh, to uh, Jake Gardner that they knew about before the deadline. Travis Dermott gets hurt. Their bottom pairing was one guy who hadn't played since before Christmas in Justin Hall and another guy who should never play in the NHL in Martin Marinson. And he was responsible for one of the goals for you know his pathetic defensive play. Um, the, the, the bigger concern, though, and I want to put this to you guys, is their team did not show up. After it was two to one, they had a tying goal from from Zach Hyman. Uh, it was it was uh, negated because of a, a video review for offside, which I'll, I'll go into that after this. And after that, the Leafs folded up. It was an embarrassing, bordering on gutless performance by a team that is supposed to be uh, one of the one of the teams that is going to contend for the Stanley Cup. And I'll I'll say to you, they didn't add any sandpaper at the deadline. They didn't bolster their defense. They couldn't foresee Dermott getting injured, but their defense now is painfully bad. And the, and if they go up against a team like Boston, Boston is going to run them out of the building. I, I'm not, if, you know, Lee fans should be worried right now. I, mean, I, say today, I mean, it was 500 points I was thinking, but he actually had 621 points because I had just seen a highlight recently. And so, yeah, I said goals instead of points, but still 621 points for Tavares. Uh, I saw some disturbing things in that game. Garrett Sparks first. He really, he definitely didn't help the confidence of that team on a couple of those goals because it just felt like if there was ever going to be a one-on-one situation, he was going to lose it. And when players get that feeling, it, it, it really rips through a team. They won't talk about it, but you could just see it body language-wise. Right. That, that was one thing. The other thing was, and Mike and I did talk about it, that there was only that one situation where there's a little bit of a fracas when Justin Hall was was getting into it with Clutterbuck and then Matt Martin eventually got – that was about the only time. But Jake Muzzin was a target that whole game and as a result had a horrible game. Like he – that's the worst I've ever seen Jake Muzzin play. Lad, lad, lad ran him early in the first period. I mean, it was basically a charge, but they didn't call it. A, it, was, it was a run from from the blue line. He, he walloped. Muzzin went went high on him. He got hit again by I think Clutterbuck, and then he was responsible in terms of giveaways for the second goal. For the, it was a three on one going the other way, and then the giveaway on the Sezikis, uh shorthanded goal. So yeah, he had a he had a terrible game. Sparks gives up that goal. It was four one, so you could say the game was all over with. Garrett Sparks has let in so many goals from long range from the blue line, like flutter flutter balls. Yeah. Um, that 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 you know he's terrible on long on long range shots. And I think the Sezika's goal was pretty bad too. And again, that bottom pairing of Marinson and Hall were minus five. Hall was the only one who responded. Clutterbuck hit him. He came back and hit Clutterbuck. Other than that, there was no pushback from the Leafs. And you can say, okay, you've got a team here. It's a skilled team. You have to have somebody who pushes back when a team pushes you around. I mean, Hyman, Tavares, and Marner were good. The rest weren't. Yeah, that was what was going on. And I'll let you talk, Jan. Sorry. Sure. What was going on with Morgan Riley breaking his stick on the bench? What was that frustration about? Is that something that's new? No, I, I mean, I don't know what specifically it was. I know that I've, it may have been because they especially on the stick three times. He was talking to to one of the coaches and he jammed the stick after that three times into the bench, especially especially uh, early in the game. 
I know that the Leaf bench was having a problem with the way the game was being called. Andreas Janssen got bowled over two or three times. Uh, no, no call. And I mean, there weren't a lot of penalties. They, they oh, hold on. I'm sorry. This guy, Bill Nettleberg yeah. in the chat room is saying Russ is a Ranger fan. So he'll lie. Listen, if you know anything about me, Bill, not only did I write an article that John Severus could change the franchise for the Islanders, yeah. but I've been to a ton of Islander games just because I grew up a Ranger fan. Doesn't mean I didn't respect the Islanders. So what you said is, is a bunch of baloney. Okay. So, I, mean, Go ahead. I have 10 minutes from the Coliseum and I have a ton of friends who are Islander fans. So they were, they were mixed in terms of their view going into yesterday. Again, I knew a ton of people who brought signs to the game yesterday, a ton of people who were angry that he left. But in terms of the game itself, I mean, you talked about chippiness. You had Barzol also cross-checking Tavares a bunch of times on the video. That wasn't called. I mean, we talked about it before the deadline. We talked about it two weeks before the deadline. We all liked the Muzzin acquisition. We all felt that they needed another blue liner, even though they had gotten Muzzin to help with defense. And we felt that they needed a guy to provide sandpaper, not only on the back line, but on the fourth line. I mean, this is not a new topic that we've discussed. And it's been repeated for weeks and weeks and weeks. And yet the organization and the team, for whatever reason, didn't go about adding any of those pieces at the deadline. Now, part of it could have been cap concerns, but there's ways of getting around cap concerns with teams who are willing to eat cap in order to facilitate a deal. So, the, I mean, I think yesterday, as you talked about, we said Boston-Toronto, Boston's going to literally play a very heavy game against them. They're going to pound them every single opportunity that they get, and Toronto's going to hope to use their skill to offset, but the problem is in a situation like that, Boston has a ton of skill in addition to their ability to play a heavy game, which makes them tough. On the flip side, I mean, Russ, and you and you and I talked about this already. First round at the at the Coliseum is going to be difficult for any team coming in, regardless of where the Islanders end up falling in the standards. So if they win the division or if they finish second behind the Capitals or even third behind Capitals and the Blue Jackets, any team coming into the Coliseum is going to have a brutal, brutal weight, brutal um challenge facing them because it's a difficult place to play in. The Islanders rev off the crowd that's riled up like crazy. The smallness of that arena now and the limited seats that they have makes it appear even louder than right. it really is. And look, yesterday the Islanders were loaded for bear. Mm -hmm. You could have seen there was no way they were going to lose that game given all the all the stuff that's been going on around Tavares. Toronto came in. Um, you wanted them to show a little bit more. And to me, that's the concerning part is that, that as you said, uh, Mike, they kind of gave up. After the score got 2-1, but especially 3-1, they kind of turtled a little bit and kind of went into their shell as opposed to having the pushback. The Islanders just fed off that and kept ramping up and ramping up the, the intensity and the energy building off of the fan base. Yeah, I mean, you can't say it any better than that. I know that Babcock after the game basically said, if we play like that in the playoffs, we're going to lose. And that's, I mean, that's, that's pretty straightforward and pretty simple. He didn't, you know, he, he didn't go full out in terms of his, you know, in terms of expressing his frustration, but you can tell this is not a team that is built along the lines of the way Babcock wants it to be built. And that's that I think going forward over the next few years, I mean, next year, and we'll get off the leaf thing in a second here, but next year he's going to have less players that are considered Babcock players on that team. More than likely, they're not going to re-sign Ron Hainsey. More than likely, they're going to trade Connor Brown. I saw, I think it was Pierre Lebrun, talk about a Connor Brown for Matt Benning deal. That was what was being talked about between between uh, Ottawa, between the Leafs and, uh, and Edmonton. Um, so, you know, they're talking about shedding Connor Brown, who's one of Babcock, Babcock's favorites as, uh, you know, because as a cap casualty, because they have to sign, he's making 2 million bucks. So it's going to get further and further away from what Babcock considers like 
the type of team that he likes and how, what's what is that going to result in? I mean, right now we're th almost through half of his contract and he's got two losses in the first round. And at this point, I would say likely a first round loss to Boston in the first four years. That's not what the Leafs signed up for. By this point, they expected to be further along and further and deeper into the playoffs. And that's not, not what's happening. So, I mean, it's going to be, it, it, that'll be an interesting thing if they do take another early exit uh, in the playoffs. Anyway, let, let, let's get off of this and get to the, the, the breaking news of the day, which was the surprising firing of Guy Boucher. Now it wasn't surprising that Guy Boucher was going to be fired because the, uh, the senators are terrible, but they fire him three days after the deadline, make Mark Crawford the interim coach, and you know put out this statement afterward. You know, looking for basically a young coach who can teach our players and blah 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 blah. You know, like this all all this like happy horse crap. Um, this is an organization in chaos. It, it's a tire fire. It's an embarrassment. Um, Eugene Melnick, I, I don't know if whether this was a Melnick, uh, um, initiated move. I, I know Doug McLean on hockey central said he thought, you know, based on the, the criticisms of Melnick in the past, when Brian Murray was general manager, that it's possible. He just said, let's fire this guy. But Jan, I mean, I, I don't know how bad it can get or how much worse it can get in Ottawa because it looks like it's just completely a disgrace right now. I mean, I found the comments that he made, though, interesting in terms of what when the rationale he gave associated for the firing, which is, to me, the more curious part of anything else. When he uses the line um, of basically, I think what he said exactly was, I told him our play recently wasn't acceptable, no more excuses. And I'm, I'm looking at it and thinking, um, weren't you the guy that got rid of Eric Carlson? Weren't you the guy that just got rid of Matthew Shane? Weren't you the guy that got rid of Mark Stone? Weren't you the guy who's basically changed your organization? To the point of where the talent base that existed, you you played better than you should have in the beginning of the season. Now you're settling back to the level of where you should be at. Craig Anderson was hurt and hasn't played particularly well. I, I mean, I'm not quite sure what kind of message you're looking to send and why you're doing this move on March 1st. Kind of makes you shake your head as well, given where the organization is going. So I don't I don't understand in terms of why they the rationale for making the decision generically doesn't make sense, and then why you're making that decision now also doesn't make sense, but it's going to be interesting. I mean, obviously, they put in an interim coach for right now. They're going to start their long-term search. I mean, Russ, I'm sure you've seen the name Alain Vigneault come up a couple times because sure. he's probably the biggest name that's out there in terms of coaching candidates and whether or not he's particularly going to be good with what's expected to be a very young team. Yeah, uh, that, that's the part I worry about with Vigneault. Right, yeah. and, that's, and that's the thing we talked about in New York. It's part of the reason why he probably had to go is because he's much better with an experienced team. He's not as good with a very young team that has to be developed. So – Ottawa's got an enormous amount of problems. Look, we, we like them getting Brandstrom in the deal. That was their key acquisition. You like Thomas Shabbat. Yeah. But there's so many holes on that team in terms of that have to be remediated. And now you've gotten – look, it's feasible. Duchesne comes back and resigns there. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but losing Carlson, losing Duchesne, losing Stone, as well as the other issues that exist with that team – I'm I'm looking more at Matt. I'm looking more at the owner and the GM than I am at the coach at this point. Well, I, I'll, I'll just say this, and I'll uh, and be, I'm sure there'll be a lot of candidates when uh, you know when the season is over with. I, I don't think Mark Crawford fits the description of what they're looking for. I think they brought in Crawford as an interim. Uh, as he was an assistant for Boucher, but they brought him in as a, uh, as the interim, so they don't finish in last place overall. But if that's the case, then that's pretty sad motivation. But um, I think that what's going to end up happening is it's going to be a guy who 
is a good teacher who maybe coached in the AHL, who they can sign on a long-term deal. I, I mentioned to, to Russ, somebody like Luke, Luke Richardson, who coached yeah. in Binghamton for a while. But there are he, other guys out there. He's revered there, yeah. Yeah, he's revered, very revered. And if it's not him, then, you know, maybe you know maybe Sheldon Keefe, if he decides he doesn't want to wait until, uh, you know, wait with the Marlies and uh, if, if he wants an NHL job. I mean, it, it's going to be – whoever it is that they need to get a long-term deal. They also need to, the, the organization needs to realize that they have to be patient because this is basically, you're going to finish bad for a couple years. Uh, Melnick says he's not going to spend money until 2021. I, you know, I don't know. I don't foresee, you know, Melnick all of a sudden disappearing in a, in a poof of, of dust. He's not going anywhere, folks. You can't make them sell the team. Maybe the NHL can, but you can't make them sell the team, even right. if you don't show up at the building. So, Ross, do you think that that's the direction that they go, a young guy? Yeah, I ultimately think so. I think they're they're saying they want to get the best coach available, but I think they're going to find out that the best coaches available don't want an upstart team that they might have to wait three to five years to get rolling. So I think they're going to have to – get somebody else who's more into that. And I think they'll find that. I mean, you know, that's what Dallas Akins was trying to do back in the day. And, you know, it didn't work out great for him the first time, but that's, you have to get somebody with the kind of temperament that is willing to just teach, teach, teach. Like that's where it's going to be. There are guys that you don't have to teach a ton to like Shabbat and Kachuk, but they're still young. So they still have lessons to be learned too. Right. Yeah. I, they're in a spot right now where it's just so easy to criticize them that, you know, I'm just going to lay off because it's it's obvious. Like, we, we know what's going on. We've seen what's going on with the building. I just hope the Ottawa fans get to keep their team there. I know, I know that's, you know, a passion for them. You know, that's my biggest question. But right now, this is all part and parcel of, you know, even in the press release that was read, uh, you know, they mentioned that this is a rebuild. They, they're going to yeah. keep saying that. And it's is like – oh. Is that a first? Because I never remember a press release saying, saying not just – you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs, but the rebuilding Ottawa Senators. Right. Like it's, a, it, yeah, it's part of their tagline now. So like, that's fine. If you want that to be part of the narrative, that's great. But at some point your fans will not accept the rebuilding Ottawa Senators anymore and will expect more. So, so for this, for the, uh, the alternate Jersey that has an O, are they going to put an R apostrophe there for rebuilding? Um, okay. Um, <laughs> Let's look at some of the games from last night. Um, Russ, you paid particular attention, and I, I turned on the uh, the Philadelphia-Columbus game yeah. after the, the ending of the of Leafs and, and Isles. And I saw the overtime and saw, was it Seth Jones with the overtime winner, 4-3. to three. Um, Again, a record for the team, too, by the way, for overtime winners already in his short career. Yeah, now the thing is, the, fly, the Flyers are at 68 points. They're six points behind uh, Carolina Hurricanes for the second wild card spot. They're also six points behind Pittsburgh. So just just for those those Flyers fans, that means that two teams have to collapse, not one, two. And we're talking about you've got 18 games left. The odds of them gaining six points in 18 games are astronomical. Yeah, I mean, you got a point last night, but you bled two. And when you do that, you're not catching the team in front of you. So I'm already saying they're not catching Columbus. So if it comes down to the to the Flyers trying to catch Pittsburgh, they're going to play March 17th, I believe. I looked it up. And they're not going to win that game. I know they won the outdoor game. That's all well and good. 
but the Pittsburgh Penguins, knowing they have to make the playoffs, are going to have more will to win that game than the Flyers. The Flyers followed their normal thing. They, you know, they fall behind, they catch up, they get it to overtime. Bob makes a big save in overtime, then all of a sudden Seth Jones goes out there down the other end and he acts like a winger and he gets the goal. The interesting thing about it is Jones and Panarin played an inordinate amount of time in that overtime. That's something the Flyers can't do. Claude Giroux can't do that anymore. He can't, you know, double shift in an overtime. He doesn't have the legs for that. He's still a great player, but he doesn't have the legs for that. So that's where a team like Columbus at this time of the year does have an advantage if they get into overtime and other teams too, because with three on three, it's all about the skating and really the flyers don't have enough of those guys. They've got a few of them and they've got a few of them on the way like Morgan Frost, but that's something where going down the stretch here, if they have games where they're going to play it tight and go to overtime, they're going to lose their fair share. Yeah. Uh, I was surprised Brian Elliott started. I was Cam Talbot needed to get a start. He's getting a start tonight. I, I don't know. You know, you don't always have to give a reward to a guy for winning a game to get the next start. I felt like at some point they needed to mix Cam Talbot in because what if Cam Talbot is bad tonight? Like, he hasn't played in a long time. If he's bad tonight, that really, if they still believe they're in it, really hurts their chances. And that's something where it's like, you could have avoided that. He could have gotten in there sooner. So this is something where we're going to watch intently tonight. Uh, I'm not worried about Cam Talbot and pressure. But look, it's it's against the Devils, and the Devils have nothing to lose. They'll just play it fast and loose. Corey Schneider's in this one, who has finally rebounded this season, and you know he's gotten off the Schneid and is doing better lately. So this is not going to be an easy game. Nothing. This is Sesame, not that this is Sesame Street, Jan. But uh, which which of these things do, do, doesn't belong? Uh, Columbus, Montreal, Carolina, Pittsburgh, and Philadelphia. Goal differential plus thirteen plus 10, plus 16, plus 21, minus 24. That's the Philadelphia Flyers. That's why they're not making the playoffs. That's why they're done. They've been done for a month. And they're they're hot streak, and it's a great hot streak. I give them credit. Yeah, I, I mean, right. But but again, and I'll, I'll say this for me, being the the uh, the resident hockey buzz uh, tank uh, tank aficionado. You know they've they've blown an opportunity to get a good chance at drafting Jack Hughes for a futile run for the playoffs that they never had a realistic chance of getting back into. So I don't know what is being accomplished other than making yourselves feel good and other than watching gritty skate around the uh, the uh, Wells Fargo ice. Yeah. I mean it's just it's just it's it was dumb and I I don't get it. But of those teams, okay, because right now it's Columbus at seventy five. Montreal at 75, Carolina and Pittsburgh at 74 with a game in hand. Uh, Columbus has 63 games, so they have a game in hand too. And Philly at 68 with 64 games played. Um, of those teams, three of them will make the playoffs and the other two won't. I mean, right now, I think you know, Columbus, obviously with the additions that they made, Jan, I think they're, you know, they have the they have the edge, but they have a tough schedule coming up. And Montreal benefits from playing a lot against their own division. and Most of the division is crap. So I think it's between Carolina and Pittsburgh for that last wildcard spot. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, I mean, it's funny because both of them, in my opinion, is going to come down to goaltending. How healthy is Matt Murray? How healthy can Matt Murray stay? 
if Murray doesn't stay healthy? Are you trusting Casey DeSmith, who's played fairly well, and Tristan Jarry to get the job done? Mm-hmm. On the flip side in Carolina, Curtis McElhaney has been kind of a godsend, and you've had Peter Morazic, I think, play better than expected. I mean, offensively, Carolina, with with the guys that they have there, with Furland, with with Aho, with Tara Vinen, with Justin Williams really picking up his game, um, you, look, you look at that team, they can match Pittsburgh a little bit offensively, even though Pittsburgh has the super-duper stars with, you know, Malkin and and Crosby. Um, to me, the bigger question is going to be is how how is the Pittsburgh blue line? How long is Latang out? How long is Dumoulin out? And the longer that both of those guys stay out, especially Latang, the more pressure that's on Justin Schultz and the more pressure that's going to be put on their goaltender. So if those guys are out longer term, yeah. I give the edge to Carolina, even though I think Pittsburgh has a better shot of making it. Um, in terms of the other guys, yeah, I mean, Columbus is clearly – look, I think Columbus is is going to battle Washington and the Islanders, even though the Islanders have a six-point spread for the number one spot in that division, especially if Bobrovsky keeps playing as he's played. So that's kind of my view on it. I, I do think it's amazing. Montreal, look, Price has played very well, and Price has played probably better than I think a lot of us would have expected, and the Drew and Domi combination has been very good, and now that Shea Weber's back, it solidifies their blue line. So it, this is going to be one of those where – Come game 80, 81, and 82, you're going to see a lot of movement, I think, even on those last three games in terms of who's in and who's out of the playoffs. They said Latang is short-term. Uh, yeah, what does is, that mean? Yeah, right. I, I don't, they, they didn't specify. Dumoulin's got a concussion, so he could be out a while. I mean, they were playing Zach Trotman on their blue line a couple a couple games ago. So, I mean, it, it's gotten bad. It's like it's that's almost as bad as the Toronto situation because not only – uh, do they not have Gardner and Dermott available? The couple of the guys that they would have called up from the Marlies are out. So that's why they had to call up Marinson and, and start playing Justin Hall. Okay. Um, the one game from last night that wasn't exactly surprising Tampa, who had won 10 games in a row, they go to Boston playing Louis Domingue in the second of back to back. And the Bruins have gone, I believe it's 14 0 2 in February. And they, they win that uh, 4 1. Now, Russ. Now Boston has a three-point lead on Toronto, equal in games. Um, the, the two teams don't face each other the rest of the year. Um, three points is not, uh, you know, a Herculean task to overcome. But based on the inconsistency of Toronto, I mean, they're going to have to depend on Boston being uh, cooling off significantly for them to have a chance to, to get back into this. Yeah, I think they they would have to cool off significantly. I do. I think that's that's fair. Will it happen? I don't know. I it's hard to say. I mean, I don't think it's going to happen. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and which mean, Russ, one quick thing. When you talked about Tampa, take a look at Louis Domingue's numbers. They're staggering how good he is. The guy almost never loses when he plays. He's nineteen and five on the year. Yeah. Uh, granted, obviously helped by a very good Tampa team because he's got a two point nine one goals against and a nine oh eight save percentage, but. If you look up in, in his last several games, generic until last night, he almost never lost. It's it's unbelievably impressive it what is. he's done in terms of helping Tampa Bay get that number one seed. And we talked about his time. Vasilevsky last year ran down as we approached as they approached the playoffs. With the time he missed with the injury and the confidence they have in Domingue, once they kind of clinch that number one seed, sure. they can give Vasilevsky as oh, much yeah. rest as he needs. Roll with Domingue without having any setbacks. And you're going to have a guy well-rested come playoff time, which may be a huge edge 
and coming out of the Atlantic Division beyond just winning the Eastern Conference and the Stanley Cup. And that's and that's what some some people are saying Vegas should do down the stretch when it comes to Mark Andre Fleury because he's leading the NHL in game starts. Now they they don't have as much of a cushion as Tampa Bay does. In fact, they're they're only five points uh, ahead of uh, Colorado for the wild card spot, but and six of Arizona also. And six over, and yeah, that's I mean that's incredible because that team is a walking the Walking Dead, and they're still and they're still sticking into it. But let, just let's, let's look at the at the West for a second here. Um, Nashville at seventy nine, Winnipeg at seventy eight. Winnipeg has got three games in hand, so essentially Winnipeg is going to be in first place when they catch up the games. Uh, St. Louis at seventy four in the Central at sixty three games, so they have three games in hand on that. Nashville. Conceivably, if 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 uh, Winnipeg gets hot and if St. Louis stays hot could end up in third place in that division. Cause there's three, three games in hand on both of them <clears throat> in the Pacific uh, Calgary at an 89 second in the league behind Tampa. So they would have home ice advantage throughout the Western conference playoffs, San Jose at 82. So it looks like the flames are going to win that division. And San Jose is going to have to face Vegas in this, in the first round. And Eric Carlson has had some uh, groin problems. He's going to sit out a week uh, just for precautionary reasons. Okay. That's smart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why, why not? I mean, basically, you you know you're going to be second or third in the division, so you may as well. He's going to be an important piece for you. Um, wild card race. And by the way, watching Florida, and I don't remember what the final was last night because I six, went six five. Okay, Flurry. I'm not Flurry. Subban was not great, right? So so Vegas, they really don't have an option if Mark Andre Flurry goes goes bad because Malcolm Subban in big games will get lit up. So it's a it's it's a it's an Anderson Spark scenario when it comes to Vegas. They're, I think you know, it is. And, and in that case what they have to what they have to do is manage Subban starts against teams if they're playing bad teams then play Subban against those bad teams and hope you can yeah. get points. Um in the wild card race Dallas 69 uh they they won over LA yesterday 4 to 3 Minnesota at 68 Colorado is tied at 68 and Arizona is at 67. And if you want to go further down, uh, Chicago and Vancouver at 63. So they're five points out. I think they're, you know, that's a little far. They'd have to really get hot and hope somebody drops off. But let's looking at the West. I mean, I'm skeptical still about Dallas and obviously Minnesota, Russ. But I mean, you can't you can't take anything away from the from the Wild because in spite of trading some players away, they, they're sticking in it. Yeah, I mean, again, I felt like they got something good in Donato. I still feel like they got something good in Fiala. These days, getting fresh, long, young legs in your lineup, and it's not like Charlie Coyle's old, but again, these guys are just faster. Like Coyle serves – I mean, the way the Bruins play, he plays their kind of hockey, right? Yep. But Minnesota needed a little bit of a change. The guys that they've got have will give them that change, and I think it's kind of interesting that – now they're hanging in there. They're without Dumba. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to get Koivu back. That's obvious. But Dumba could come back at some point. We don't know exactly when that is. But again, if Devin Dubnik plays tough, they may still have enough to give teams trouble until Matt Dumba gets back. And I got to hand it to Bruce Boudreau because he did a couple things really right here that he hasn't gotten credit for. The first one was when he put Donato in the lineup, he said, look, I've seen it my whole life. When you put a young guy in the lineup, a lot of times they put him with veterans and it doesn't work out because the veterans sort of, you know, 
hold him back, hold back the young guy with the speed and stuff. I'm going to do the opposite, and I'm going to put him with younger players, and that's really worked. And the one thing about Boudreaux is he is not a guy that doesn't that, – that wards off change all the time. Like, he's willing to mix up lines and do those kinds of things. And maybe this is something where all of a sudden this is a year where because it was forced on him by Fenton – that Boudreaux has better success in the playoffs than he's had before. If they make the playoffs, I don't think they're an easy out. I'll, I'll just tell you that. Jan, so my I view on this is um, I like what Boudreaux's done. You mentioned obviously the injuries with 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 um, Dumba yeah. as well as with um, with losing Koivu, and they kind of they kind of were able to rebound very quickly from both of those moves, um, especially the Dumba one. They played better than I think I think any of us would have expected in terms of the moves that way, that they made. Um, kind of interesting in terms of the decision of getting rid of Granlin for Fiala. Um, it's not one of those moves I was in favor of. Um, maybe short-term it helps, but, but you know, it's another one of the long line of deals where, you know, they got rid of Rask and got – got rid of Niederreier and got Rask. To me, in my opinion, that was an absolutely horrific trade. Like the addition of Donato, definitely helped the team. Definitely got younger with Fiala, but gave up a better player in Granlin. So it almost makes you wonder, is are they? Is Paul Fenton going, you know what? If we make the playoff this year, it's great. But I'm building for a longer-term future based because of all the injuries we've had this year. And I'm going to go for the guys who are younger to hopefully get us to that stage down the road as opposed to worrying about if we're going to make a playoff run this year. And if we do, it's gravy. Uh, but if not, I'm set up for the future. That said... Love the Donato deal. I can deal with the Fiala for Granlin deal if that's the if that's the view. Even though I, as much as I like Fiala, I think Granlin is very underrated. The Raz for Niederreiter deal, in my opinion, was absolutely a horrific deal. But if Dubnik stays hot, that's going to carry them. With Dallas losing Zuccarello, who clearly looked like he meshed very nicely during the first two periods before he got hurt, yeah. is a very huge loss for them. But getting Lovejoy and having Lovejoy get paired with the with the guys that he's going to be paired with either with the two young defensemen with either Klingberg. Or Heiskanen is really going to help them as well. I do think Dallas is in a little bit of trouble, though. I do. I I agree. I agree. I mean, because I mean, first of all, Bishop has been in and out with injuries. They've had to rely more on Kudobin and yeah. Landon Landon Bow or Landon Bow as the uh, as the backup. Um, yeah. You know, I I think Heiskanen is going to be a top pairing defenseman. He's real. He's really good, but. They're putting a putting a burden on a guy who's what nineteen going on twenty. I mean, it's you know, and and the funny thing is, is that under Montgomery, this was remember, this is a team that was top echelon in the NHL in goal scoring, but they couldn't keep the puck out of the net. They have one of the better goals against in the league, and now they can't score. So they're they're selling out defensively, but it's it's affecting their offense, and that's why the addition of Zuccarello was important because he provided another guy who could score, and to lose him for four weeks. You know, that's tough. And Colorado seems to be getting back on track now after basically being one of the worst teams in the league for two months. Yeah, they had a, they had a bad run there. They did. Yeah, and now – so, I mean, it's one of Dallas, Minnesota or – or two, sorry, two of the three, Dallas, Minnesota or Colorado um, with an outside chance of Arizona. I mean, Russ, I, that's the thing I don't get. How in the hell is the Coyotes doing this? It's a good question. I think Rick Tockett – Deserves a lot of credit. I, I think he has uh, figured out the the right lineup. I think, I mean, we we all thought if they were going to have success, that Auntie Ronta would be part of it, right? Right. <laughs> so sometimes hockey's a weird game, and 
sometimes it just takes a coach to do the right things. I mean, Richardson had four goals last night. Yeah, what do you have, 11 in his career before that or something yeah. in that range? I so mean, sometimes things go right. and Darcy Kemper. It's, it's like Darcy, it's a, it's Darcy like Kemper's world. We're just living in it. That's like yeah. Mark. That, that's, that's like Mark Witten hitting four home runs for the Cardinals in Cincinnati a few years back. I mean, like, it's like that, the guy did hit less than a hundred home runs in his career, I think, and he hit four in one game. So didn't Mark Witten also have? No, no. I, I think he was the one who thought he had spiders on him, right? That whole story. Glenn Allen Hill. Um, huh. I think it was Glenn Allen Hill who oh, had. Glenn Allen Hill was the guy. Yes. Yeah, they're both they're both ex Blue Jay pro outfield prospects. Yeah. So I understand. So, I mean, they're doing it without that, but I understand that Derek Stepan got an injury. He did. He got a. They got a knee injury yesterday. They think could keep him out a while. And that could be a derailment there because I don't think they have a replacement for Derek Stepan. So that's something where I'm sure Coyotes fans are hoping that that's not the case because things have gone really well up to this point. Uh, just, just one, a uh, couple of brief notes here. Um, and, and the NHL released their three stars of the week: Kucherov, Patrick Kane, and Tarasenko. Uh, they also released their. Uh, was that three stars of the month? Let me just check. Three stars. It was of the month. month. They also said rookie of the month. Yeah, that was the and and yes, and Jordan Bennington, rookie of the month for February. I don't know where I've heard that name before, I'm Russ. Shocked. I'm really shocked. That's all I, I, I don't know. It's like I've never heard of this guy before. I don't recall anybody ever mentioning him on the well, show. We've never talked about him on the show. He's seemingly come out of nowhere. <laughs> I had Bennington in one of my leagues years ago and cut him when it looked like he wasn't uh, going to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, well, I can't tell you that. well, yeah, sure. We clearly saw – everybody saw this coming, clearly. Yeah, 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 I, think, I think they're calling him, what, Jordan Winnington is what I think his new nickname no. is. Oh, please, they, they came up with a, a whole slew of bad nicknames for him on, on TSN last night. It was, it was pretty bad. I do want to bring up, you know, the one thing that I had brought up on Twitter about the Coyotes that – I didn't. I don't know if I brought up on the show is is Connor Garland. That's a guy who they've really stuck with, and he's got twelve goals this year. He only has three assists, but he has twelve goals. And they no, and they, and they signed him to a two year extension. I think yep. seven seventy five a year. So you know, I, okay, that's I tell you right now, that is going to be the trend right now. Is anybody shows anything? Yep. In, in the NHL, they call him up from the minors, and he plays well for two weeks. He's getting a he's getting a two year extension because yeah, yeah that happened with Trevor Moore in Toronto. He came up for three or four games. They liked what they saw. They think okay, this guy could be part of our team next year. And it's below the amount of that if it doesn't work, they can send him down to the minors and not take a cap hit. They're going to give him one way deals for a couple years because they know that they can plug them in and they're cheap. And when you're paying one player eleven million bucks, which obviously Arizona is not doing, but they'll they'll just pay that in. Uh, uh, money that they take on in trades like taking on like Nathan Horton's deal or somebody like that. But other teams, when they're paying Mitch Marner or Jeff Skinner for the Sabres, they're going to need cheap talent on the third and fourth line and the bottom defensive pairing. That's going to be the trend in this league. It is going to be the trend. Okay, uh, good show, guys. We will be back on Monday with another edition of the Hockey Buzzcast. For Jan Levine, for Russ Cohen, I'm Michael Agello. Thank you for watching. And remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. 
No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.